Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Welcome to episode 78 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Hey, thanks for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can give as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can find us out by going to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you're interested in joining the ALPO, membership begins at only $18 a year. Find out more at alpo-astronomy.org. And yes, we're also on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear and never want to miss an episode, well, then subscribe. And now, episode 78 of the Observer's Notebook. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. Today we have a return visitor, uh, the brand new executive director of the ALPO and most recent recipient of the Walter Haas Observer's Award, Julius Benton. How you doing, Julius? I'm doing great. Great. Well, before we get into it, uh, I want to say congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. It was an honor to receive that. Uh, many years go back uh, in my relationship with Walter, and uh, I'm just honored to have uh, to be chosen for the award and I'll try to wear it well. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself if they've never heard you on the podcast before? Yeah, I'm uh, the Saturn and Venus coordinator. I've been that uh, in that role since 1971. Uh, I was a lunar uh, coordinator. I actually was called a recorder back in those days, uh, in the early days, but uh, I've just since uh concentrated on Venus and Saturn for quite a number of years and uh, it's a labor of love and um, I've got quite a few observers that I continue to correspond with and we are focusing more and more on Pro-Am cooperation. Oh, fantastic. Now you are now the executive director. Do you have any plans for, for the ALPO for the future? Well, the big deal is, is I'm going to try to focus on, uh, making sure the organization's goals uh, move forward. Uh, Walter Haas established that uh, premise back uh, many years ago at uh, observations of uh, solar system objects by astronomical instruments that are available to amateurs. 
And of course, uh, what I want to see happen is the, the organization grow. I'd like to see uh, each one of our sections become more and more active. Uh, we have many active sections, but some of the ones that uh, haven't been quite as active, uh, having trouble finding observers in some cases, uh, would like to try to improve that situation. Um, it's no one's fault. It's just the fact that uh, some programs uh, get a little more focus in the publicity realm uh, than others do. Uh, Cassini for Saturn, for example, was a big thing. Um, of course, Mars has been very popular. Right. The latest Juno mission has stirred up a lot of interest in Jupiter. And then, of course, uh, the, uh, the lunar section uh, with the uh, reminiscence uh, of the uh, July 20th, 1969 uh, Apollo 11 event um, was something that uh, spurred some interest, I hope. But for the future, I just want to see the organization grow. I want to try to have more uh, pro-am uh, cooperation. Um, uh, it's been very successful in many of our sections, and I'd like to see some of these sections that haven't been active in that try to uh, move forward in that direction. Yeah, you've been able to do quite a bit of that with the Saturn section, like you said, working with the Cassini program. Yes, with the Cassini program and then the Venus program as well with VEX, with the VEX mission and the, uh, the current Japan uh, mission that's been going on uh, in, in recent years. So uh, we've got good cooperation there and want to see it continue. Um, and just because the Cassini mission ended in September of 2017 doesn't mean that uh, observers need to stop sending in observations because mm -hmm. uh, obviously we want to try to make sure that um, we continue sending in the data just like we would for any other program uh, program because those guys really want to receive our observations. I didn't ask to ask them to receive them. They ask us for them, which is a really, really That's encouraging fantastic. thing. Good. That's our reputation. That's good. Now, what is the process for becoming the executive director of the ALPL? Well, as established by our bylaws, we rotate that uh, position um, every uh, each person as executive director serves a term of two years and then there's an associate director uh, who uh, assumes the role as a, a subordinate who can help uh, the executive director out but uh, that's the way it runs it's a two-year term and I'm going to try to give it my best during the two years starting uh, this past summer and this summer isn't your first go around is it this isn't your first go around this isn't your first no, time I as no, I've been executive director in, in the past. Uh, it goes back uh, back in, I joined the board in 1995, and I was executive director back uh, maybe 10 years after that for uh, a term. Okay. And um, it was it was a, quite an experience. Uh, it's very enjoyable interfacing with everyone, trying to be a good leader. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, this might be a little off topic, but I, I, I've seen a lot with ALPO Japan, and I know they're not really an official part of the organization. Is there something we're trying to do to capture the contributors from that into our group? Well, what we want to make sure of is that all our observers from all of the sections or those who participate in those sections send their observations to the ALPO, domestic ALPO right away, send those mm -hmm. to our organization. And then what we want to try to do is share the information with the ALPO Japan as much as we can they have some observers that participate in our programs, but if the ALPO members and those participating in each of our sections should definitely send their observations to us first, 
And then uh, we'll follow up with a coordinated effort to share that information as need be with other organizations like the BAA, uh, the uh, the, uh, ALPO Japan, and so forth. Okay. Now, what we're going to get into now is basically a member profile, just getting to know you a little bit better, all right? Yep, that's fine. Okay. All right. So um, do you have a person or an event that first sparked your interest in astronomy? Yeah, my aunt, uh, who lived in Long Beach, California, was uh, she was a army nurse, and I uh, <laughs> was always interested in astronomy, and made her own planisphere. And um, she sent me a my first astronomy book back when I was just a youngster. I think like I was about seven years old, and um, encouraged me to read it and uh, start learning the stars. Sent me the planisphere she made. And to go out every clear night and start learning the constellations. And, of course, uh, after having done that, uh, I graduated more and more into observing the moon and planets because those tend to be easier to uh, define, for example. And, of course, uh, it didn't require dark skies necessarily, which uh, was something that led me into that realm as well. Now, do you, do you remember what that first book was? Uh I'm trying to remember what it was. It was uh, When the Stars Come Out or something like that, I believe okay. was the title of it. I don't don't have a copy of it anymore. It's disappeared in my my youth somewhere, but um, it was uh, it was one of my favorites. It was like a golden book, I believe. Oh, okay. All right. Now, were, were you living in the Long Beach area or were you in the Georgia area where you are now? No, I was actually in the Georgia area. I grew up in Albany, Georgia, and um, she... Uh, visited with us often my mom and my aunt were very close and um we corresponded frequently and uh it was an opportunity that every time she would visit we would go out with our uh we'd go out and observe meteors meteor showers and then uh my father gave me my first unitron telescope back uh as a youngster i was 10 years old when i got that and um i started using that regularly and it led into what I'm doing now, enjoying astronomy and, you know, sharing my interests. Unitron, that's a good first telescope. Yeah, it's, I still have the old thing. It was a four-inch really? Unitron. And, uh, yep, still do. Um, you can't get parts for them very often anymore, but uh, there are places you can get them in the aftermarket and um, still have it, and I use it occasionally. Um, it's starting to show its, obviously showing its wear, but it's still a good scope, good optics. Fantastic. Now, do you have a dream telescope, the money, no object, what you would like to have? Oh, my goodness. Um, the largest that I could find and operate. Um, I, uh, I'm i a big refractor nut. Uh, I've been mm-hmm. around refractors all of my life. I like Max Zutoff's. Um, and uh, Questar 7 was one that uh, I really wanted at one time, and um, I was happy to find one. And um, yeah. I've used it, and it's been a great instrument. Um, oh, so it's so it's my pinnacle. That was one of the things: good optics and uh, good functionality, good clock drive to do imaging and so forth. Now, what's your current observing equipment, basically, that you use? Okay, I have several refractors. Uh, I go. I have several. You know, you collect these things over the years. Uh, my my smallest refractor is an eighty-three millimeter uh, Vixen, which is has fantastic ED optics. And then, of course, uh, my largest refractor is a six-inch uh, Zeiss that I've had quite a number of years as well. And um, I have that on a German equatorial mount after I had modified it a little bit to accept that tube because the tube is really not that long. It's like an F10. Mm-hmm. 
but in the refractor, that means it's sizable. Okay. All right. Um, and would you have other interests? You mentioned the Venus and Jupiter sections, but do you have any other uh, astronomical interests that you'd like to go out there and observe? Oh, yes. I follow the moon pretty closely. I'm very interested in uh, the moon. I was in charge of the Selected Areas program um, back a number of years ago, and I still observe in that program right now and do some imaging and uh, follow up on uh, those types of observations. Um, coordinated years ago with uh, Winifred Cameron, who was uh, sort of a champion for the uh, TLP or LTP uh, um, observing program and um, still to uh, still try to uh, gather as many simultaneous observations from other lunar observers that I correspond with. Um, the moon is, is a big interest still, very much so. Yeah, same here. It's, it's, I, I never lose the fascination with just observing the moon. No, it's, now, uh, it's just uh, easy to find, and of course, yeah. it uh, has good image size, and it's just always fascinating and one of my favorite subjects. Uh, do you any, do you do any astrophotography? I don't do any astrophotography per se. I did years ago, but I do imaging um, with the moon and do imaging with Saturn and Venus, um, and uh, it's something that uh, takes a lot of trial and error. But um, I've been a visual observer most of my life, but I've graduated more and more into imaging and because I want to try to do as well as some of the other uh, uh, imagers uh, or, or the observers who do imaging and send in some fantastic observations of Saturn and Jupiter and Venus and so forth. But um, it's a challenge trying to find good weather. But of course, uh, it's something that I enjoy doing and we'll continue doing it as well. Yeah, it's there's just the advancements in imaging over the past five and ten years. I just can't believe the photographs and the images that we're seeing now with really modest equipment. But now that they can stack these images and all that post-processing, I'm amazed. Oh, absolutely. If you look back at some of the old images and some of the books and some of the images that I've had slides that have been sent to me from the late Charles Capon and some of the mm -hmm. other observers that have been part of our organization for many years, Compare those with the images now that uh, are being captured with uh, CCDs uh, and imagers and so forth and different wavelengths. It's amazing. Comparing those with some of the professional uh, images from past years rivals those significantly. Yeah, I, I had Damian Peach on the podcast a while back, and you know, I saw one of his images in a magazine. And I thought, oh, this is a new one from the Hubble. And then I looked, no, Damian Peach, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, some of these guys are just remarkable. Well, listen, the program, the Saturn program with Cassini, some of the images yeah. we've sent them, uh, I've compared some of our images, some of our better images, and Damien Peach is one of the person, one of the people who've sent me images as well. And there's a gentleman down in uh, South Africa, uh, Clyde Foster, and um, we have another observer in Australia. Um, it's it's just, this has been fantastic stuff they've sent me and compared with the Cassini images and those with uh, spacecraft overall have been just awesome. They really have been. The comparison is amazing, especially in the big white spot that was uh, imaged on Saturn back in 2010. Right. Now, how did you get involved with the ALPO? I got involved in the ALPO by corresponding with Walter Haas um, back uh, in the late 60s. I wrote him a letter, told him that I was interested in observing planets because where I lived, 
I didn't have uh, didn't have really dark skies. Um, too many uh, interferences with uh, the street lights and so forth. And of course, the other piece of it was is that I was not able to safely go. At least I didn't. My parents didn't want me to go by myself off to some remote site and uh, and run into a risk uh, with issues like that young man out by himself somewhere. So uh, Walter sent me a letter right back and uh, told me that uh, he would love to have me as a member. I joined it back uh, in the late 60s. And uh, as things went along, he asked me would I be interested in heading a section. Uh, I said, certainly, I would uh, give it my best effort. And that's when it led to Venus and Saturn. That's great. Now, why Venus and Saturn? Is it just because that's what Walter offered you up, or do you have a an interest specifically in those two planets? Well, Saturn's my favorite. It always has been. I was always fascinated by the first view of Saturn with my first telescope, and um, it caught me uh, caught my interest right away, and I've stuck with it ever since. Uh, Venus, because uh, I think one of the things about Venus that intrigued me was uh, the fact that it's so bright. And so easy to find in the sky, especially, uh, you know, in the days, you can observe it in the daytime as well, if you know where to look. Uh, of course, Venus is difficult to observe visually, but now uh, with uh, UV imaging, uh, you can pick up some of the, uh, the cloud features on Venus quite significantly. And um, so they both kind of, it's kind of grown on me uh, since I've been involved in them. I think Saturn is still my favorite, but Venus is a very close second. Yeah, I remember the first time I looked at Venus with any kind of decent telescope, and I had, I think it was a purple filter on the telescope. All of a sudden, I saw the clouds. You know, yeah. I was able to pick yeah. out the details when, without any filters or anything like that, it's just a dot. You know, just, it looks like a star that doesn't twinkle. <laughs> that's right. Well, the thing about it is, is using filters is so important, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I'm hoping that uh, I can uh, – encourage other observers to not only just observe visually and an image, but try using color filters to bring out contrast and details on the, uh, in the atmospheres or surfaces of different planets. Oh yeah. Right on the moon as well. Definitely. Yeah. I I mean, I've got the whole series of color filters and I've been to star parties where I've got this, you know, 14 inch Schmidt cascade set up next to my little four inch refractor but I've got a blue filter on and we're both looking at Jupiter and yeah. just what the blue filter does to Jupiter, you know, it, 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 I was out doing this huge C14. So it was like, you know, that's just by putting a $15 filter on your telescope. Oh, absolutely. It's a shock for a lot of people who don't realize. And that's one thing I'm trying to encourage observers you know, to be a member of the ALPO, but you don't necessarily, we don't want to set an inflexible minimum for the you know, size telescope you have to participate right. in our programs. Getting out and observing, learning more, and that's the main thrust. And then as you go and learn more and move forward, uh, you might find uh, an initiative to go get a bigger instrument and find something that you can handle. The main thing is, is regardless of the size of the telescope, is it just to use it. Okay. Now, um, stepping back in time a little bit, you're, you're, you were born in Savannah, Georgia, I believe. No, actually, it's Albany, Georgia. Oh, Albany. And, okay. Um, yeah. I, then we ended up in Savannah, Georgia, with my father being involved in uh, the uh, sugar industry, and um, oh. he, uh, we moved here and been here ever since. Of course, I've lived other places, lived in Pennsylvania, and lived uh, 
you know, in South Carolina for a while, but um, I was involved with Questar for quite some time and some instrument development, which was important. Oh, really? Uh, what did you do there? I was involved with new instrument development, new product development, and uh, we were involved in uh, helping uh, spearhead the first Questar 12, which uh, was quite an expensive instrument to own. But of course, wow. uh, we've had several people in the in the military as well as uh, in the law enforcement. Uh, and also, the other thing about that too is is that the 12-inch telescope was used for special effects by a company up in New York. Uh, Brand Farron and Associates. It was used in, uh, I think, some of the other movies that uh, sci-fi movies that were uh, prominent at the time. Oh, really? Huh. Yes. Now, what, what, what's your educational background? Yeah, my educational background. Uh, my my degrees are in uh, uh, environmental science, um, physics. Um, that's what I was involved in. I minored in astronomy, but uh, you know, when I got involved. Uh, in the ALPO and uh, using my education to, uh, to spearhead my interests even further just made me uh, happier to, uh, to involve other people. And when I was teaching at the university for a while, I went ahead and uh, enlisted some other students involved in some of our research programs we're involved in. Oh, so it uh, <laughs> goes back a number of years, but um, I grew up, uh, I grew up with a family that emphasized uh, interests in uh, education and just move forward with that for advanced degrees and uh, ended up uh, doing something that I always wanted to do. And that was uh, get involved in some of the shuttle program activities. Now, what did you do with the space shuttle? We were involved in some special projects and it was, it was tied in with uh, some special optics, uh, surveillance type things. Um, okay. And then of course there were some, uh, uh, different wavelength sort of uh, activities involved in that that uh, grew into programs that um, were government spearheaded programs that involved uh, surveillance, which uh, of course some of those were confidential. Right, right, right. But uh, when I was involved with Questar, we had several instruments that were in the payload bay for uh, some of the shuttles, uh, and uh, that was a very successful activity as well. My involvement in that was quite interesting and enjoyable. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Working in the space program I do right now. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, something different every day. Now, yeah. You, it uh, had its challenges, but it's of course yes. it's something that uh, I've always enjoyed. Great. Um, now you said you taught, did you teach astronomy? Yeah, I did teach an astronomy course. Uh, I did that. And also uh, I was always teaching physics. And then of course I got involved after I was involved with, uh, Teaching, I went to, uh, I got involved with general dynamics in the aerospace industry. And uh, was that's where I got heavily involved with some of the NASA activities. So general uh, dynamics is quite a significant company. And I retired right. from there back in 2014. So how's retirement? It's great. <laughs> Gives me more time to do the things I've always wanted to do. And I always said I wanted to enjoy retirement and make it the best years of my life. And of course, uh, that gives me more time to devote to astronomy and the challenges that come with so many observations flowing in from the two sections I'm in charge of. And now as executive director, I want to focus on trying to better the organization, encourage others to, uh, to, um, move our organization along and add to its longevity. 
we've got quite a lot of talented, dedicated people who go out and observe just for the interest and enjoyment. It's true. So that's program true. activities, I want to make sure we do some of that too, but that's the fun part of it is important to me. Yeah. Now, are you involved with any local astronomy clubs? We had a local astronomy club here in Savannah, and it's sort of uh, uh, waned. The interest kind of waned here, and we've tried to uh, enlist uh, more activities uh, like astronomy day and that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. weather hadn't been cooperative. Some of the people weren't that interested. So uh, I go to some of the meetings up near uh, uh, Atlanta in the uh, Charlie Elliott uh, astronomy okay. group uh, that those guys are active observers and they are they are mega they, active I mean I've had a lot of them on the podcast and I can't believe just the, the, the yes they're, they're a great group it's the Atlanta Astronomy Club they're sort of like a, a, a offshoot from that organization but they're wonderful people yeah now do you have any interest outside of astronomy yeah back in the old days uh in uh, the early days, I was always a, an avid hiker and backpacker. Um, did the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine in twenty in uh, nineteen seventy nine, and really? um, it was it was quite an experience. It was a, I enjoyed my astronomy along the on along the way as well, which was a fascinating experience. And obviously, it was the type of thing that you can take with you because it was naked eye astronomy. It didn't have a telescope, just observed from mountaintops and that kind of thing. So it was sharing interest with other uh, people along the way, watching, now, observing meteors. And was that something you did on your own or you were with other people? Oh, we had other people. Yeah. We had more than just one. I wouldn't have done it alone because they don't encourage that sort of thing. But yeah, right. we had a group of people that were going along with us and we would sit out and watch, uh, we, I had a little almanac with me, and I encouraged the folks to uh, observe meteor showers when uh, the time of the year came around, and it was uh, it was adequate to do that from where we where we were situated. Um, we started like in April of '79, uh, and then finished up the following October. Wow, that's wild. Never, I've never done anything like that. Well, I've, I've, I've taken long motorcycle trips, but never hiking like that. That's crazy. I almost awesome. quit many, many times. It was painful. Uh, it was oh, enjoyable, but it also it was, uh, you become, you, you learn more about how you become a minimalist. Uh, mm. You do more with less. And I uh, was just try to live out of your pack and enjoy the beauty of the wilderness. It was yeah. fascinating. So what are you doing Things in retirement? I'll never forget. What what are you doing in your retirement? So you had all these things that you wanted to do. What, well, what are some of these? Spending time with my grandchildren, encouraging them. My my youngest, uh, well, my next to my youngest grandchild, uh, uh, Asa, is very involved in science, and um, he did a little article, if you might remember, in the JALPO about his uh, moon phases that he presented as this project in school. Yeah, I and, remember that. Um, so spent a lot of time with him observing and he's interested in a lot of his friends. And then of course, uh, trying to encourage more youth to get involved in astronomy and then also, uh, evolve into becoming members of the ALPO and participating in our programs. Yeah. Too we many do kids sit in front of a screen, you know, <laughs> too much screen time. They need to get out and observe. Right. Yeah. I just spent last weekend up with my grandkids and, uh, they're, they're, 
seven and four and I just had a seven day old or seven month old, seven week old. I'm sorry. So I mean, the the seven year old is into his screens, but he's also very good at Legos. So I'll give him that. He'll spend hours just working his Legos. It's a fun age. (laughs) Grandkids. Oh yeah. My, uh, my grandson, he's, he just turned 13. It's hard to believe it, but, um, he's, uh, he's, been an excellent student and he gets involved in uh sometimes too much screen time but some of the stuff he does he's very creative mm-hmm. um writing programs and developing some of his own games he loves sci-fi there's a game on uh steam which is a platform for uh computer games called kerbal space program and he's hmm. built spacecraft in that it's a ama- it's an amazing game if you if, 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 if you've never seen it never uh, seen that. it's very intuitive. It's an awesome game. Doesn't cost anything. You just download it in Steam and enjoy it. It's a fantastic uh, learning experience and <laughs> teaches uh, teaches a lot about aerospace engineering as well. Maybe a budding astronaut one day. Who knows? Oh, that'd be good, huh? Grandpa'd be proud. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice. Yeah. Now, do you have any hidden talents? What's that? I'm sorry. Do you have any hidden talents, like play music or things like that? Oh, I played music as I was uh, growing up. I took piano for like nine years, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't do it anymore. I gotten away from it. I got involved so many other things that I just didn't didn't do it any further. But um, I encourage my my sons to uh, pr- pursue uh, music and enjoy uh, those kind of things, and and then they have. Mm-hmm. But I still enjoy it. But it's one thing that uh, I don't perform, you know, I don't play music anymore by myself. Times change. That's true. That's true. Life gets in the way. <laughs> what 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 in your life right now is, makes you excited? Oh well, the main thing is is being able to spend the time I want to spend observing. Um, that's the main thing. I've always wanted to be able when I was working and involved in corporate America and teaching or whatever. Um, I didn't have the time that I always wanted to have and in control of my own time. And so it excites me now to uh, to go out and, you know, watch the planets when they become uh, visible after mm-hmm. uh, sunrise and then uh, follow through uh, for an apparition of the planets and just observe and enjoy doing those kind of things. Uh, it, it excites me to do that. I just long for the clear nights. A little cloudy right now, but it sure is a nice yeah. time to have uh Nice time to have those things to do when you're retired. You don't have to answer to anybody. Yeah, Jupiter and Saturn looking very nice right now, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very nice. Well, part of this uh, member profile is we have a series of 10 questions that we ask, and uh, it, some of them are a little off the wall, <laughs> but it's just to get a little way just to get to know you a little bit better, okay? Yeah. All right, so the first one. On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Oh, I guess in some perceptions, uh, those who see me out observing sometimes, I can be a little eccentric. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kind of eccentric. Yeah. yeah I'd say maybe eight. Maybe eight. Oh, really? I, really? You're, you're that weird? Wow. Yeah. Okay. They, I've, met, they, I've met you a few times. opinions of others sometimes about astronomers. and We kind of have yeah. our uh, heads in the sky, you know? Uh, there you go. Now, what is the furthest you have traveled for an astronomical event? Oh, my goodness. Um, Gosh. 
it was not an astronomical event, but we did observing in Turkey where my uh, son Matthew lives and he teaches uh, English there. And um, really? so it wasn't a true astronomical event, but we did observe uh, near the Lycian Way and um, right on the banks of the Mediterranean. Um, and it was it was nice. We observed meteor showers. That was one of the fascinating. I didn't have a telescope, so we observed meteors. And then, uh, but it wasn't a bona fide meeting. I guess in the United States, as far as going to meetings, would be uh, out west, uh, and then of course uh, all over the country for different astronomical league and alpo meetings and then to canada for uh a few others what about uh, are you into total solar eclipses and things like that i observe them um i don't travel to the total solar eclipse uh i don't go on the cruises or travel to those although those that are fairly nearby i don't uh, miss the opportunity to observe right. them and, right. and to image them but yeah I, I i think it's fascinating but something that it just takes too much time away from uh, normal activities to, to go away and be gone that long. Yeah. So what is your go-to food order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Oh, my goodness. Um, my favorite is uh, Fox and Fig here in Savannah. It's a vegan restaurant, and I'm vegan. Are you really? And, uh, oh, yes. I've been How that way been for vegan? quite a few What's that? I'm sorry? How long have you been vegan? Oh, for about five years. Um, okay. What really led me into that more and more is I had bypass surgery back in 2018. And mm -hmm. um, uh, it's a life-changing experience. Never had a heart yeah. attack, but uh, they uh, found some blockages, had that done. And the doctor said, if you can eat more healthy, uh, eat a healthier diet, because all that builds up over time. Right. I ate too many burgers, I guess, over the years, and now I, I've just <laughs> gravitated towards the vegan. Uh, I was vegetarian at first, but now I'm vegan. So Okay. I uh, don't eat meat. Okay. So what would the food order be at this restaurant? And what's the name of the restaurant again? It's Fox and Fig. Fox and Fig. I love the name. Oh, it's 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 awesome. It really is. It's great. And, and anyone, anyone that comes to Savannah that wants to try something different, I recommend it very highly. It's yeah. one up in Nashville, North Carolina that I frequented when I go up observing uh, on the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway, Shining huh. Rock Wilderness. I go to, it's called the Laughing Seed, which is also a vegan restaurant. It's wonderful. But yes, what I order on the menu is a thing called uh, the uh, Eggless Quiche and uh, the Gunslinger Pancakes. They're all vegan, all plant-based. Really? Gunslinger Pancakes. Yes. It's amazing. So what, it's hard to believe that anybody can make vegan pancakes, but they are. What makes them vegan? How do they do that? Well, they use non-dairy uh, uh, products. Um, it's a special type of, uh, gosh, they use a special type of uh, plant. Um, it, it's it's almost like hummus that's built into it. Oh, okay. And it's, it's, it's a different taste, but it's you'd never know the difference between those pancakes and the type of pancakes you would get uh, at a regular pancake house. You just never know the difference. You could fool wow. someone. Huh. And there's one thing that they observe, observe that they serve that um, you might you might stumble on one day. It's called the Impossible Burger. It's all plant based, um, and I've noticed it's kind of strange that a lot of people don't realize how many people are gravitating to healthier eating. Burger oh, yeah. King just announced they offer the Impossible Whopper, which is yep. based on that. Uh, which is based on that. It's, it's wonderful. You wouldn't know the difference. You think you're That's eating beef. 
that's what they say. I have yet to find out. I do like my yeah. beef. So that's, <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know. You so would probably not know the difference. Uh, wow. Well, maybe someday I'll give it a shot. Now what's, what's your most memorable astronomical event? Oh my goodness. Probably this. And I mentioned solar eclipses before, but, uh, watching the solar eclipse back in 1970, uh, that was quite a memorable event because I'd never seen a solar eclipse. That's why I remember that so vividly. And then Halley's Comet. That was another uh, one back, uh, you know, in 86 when uh, right. it, was, it was in close approach. So so those were probably my most memorable. And then, of course, uh, watching the uh, impacts of uh, Comet uh, Shoemaker-Levy into Jupiter in 1994 was also quite a memorable uh, experience as well. Yeah, that's that one is high on my list. I mean, seeing it live, it was just that was amazing. Yeah. Now, are there? You'd never forget. No, no. Uh, now, are there books that have inspired you along the way? Yeah, uh, one of the first books um, that I thought was Carl Sagan's book, Cosmos. That was quite inspiring. Um, of course, uh, going back uh, quite some time ago. Uh, one of the first books I ever read was uh, um, Scar- uh, Starlight Nights and Leslie Peltier. Oh, yeah. That's good. So That's good. Quite inspiring. Yeah. Now, if you were stranded on a dark sky, deserted island, what telescope would you want with you? Probably my <laughs> five-inch Mac because it's portable. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. What 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 manufacturer is the Mac? The Mac, the actual five inch Mac, is built by Orion. Oh, and, okay. Um, it's a it's a really good scope. I mean, it compares. I shouldn't say this, maybe, but it compare it compares very favorably with some of the Quest stars I've used. Wow. It's portable and maintain. It doesn't get out of collimation when you carry it around, and yeah, it's it's a it's about. I would say my four inch refractor and the five inch Mac are pretty close in terms of contrast, but I think okay. I would choose that because of its portability. Okay. Now, if you were stranded on a dark sky, deserted Island, what music would you want to have with you? Oh gosh. Uh, probably, uh, some of the, some, some classical music, some of the space classical type music that I've listened to over the years. Um, it, that would inspire me, I believe. It would be enjoyable. Hmm. Like Holtz, The Planets? Yeah, yeah. I've yeah, got that okay. album. It's excellent. Okay. And um, yeah. Okay. What advice would you give the 12-year-old you? 12-year-old, yes. Well, I would encourage them to. No, the 12-year-old sure you. 12, the 12. 12-year-old. Julius Benton. The twelve-year-old view, you, Julius Benton. You, if you oh, could talk well, to yourself at twelve, what would you tell him? Well, I would say keep up observing, and um, it's because it was a labor of love. And I didn't watch that much TV back in those days. I wanted to get out and observe. And I guess uh, one of the funniest things I, I believe uh, at that age, uh, I had a little friend. Uh, it was a little girl that went to our church, and I asked her would she like to come out observing one night. And her parents didn't think that was a very good idea, <laughs> but um, it worked out. So did it. it? 
yeah, she ended up quite interested in astronomy after that. Oh, fantastic. All right, here's a tough one for you. Ready? Yeah. Cake or pie? Oh, probably pie. And I say that because there's a vegan pie that is an apple <laughs> pie. With yeah. Apple agave. It's awesome. That would be my choice. Yeah. All right. And who has had the single most influence on you in astronomy? Walter Haas. Oh. Missed the man. Yep. No question about it. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. He's, I think I wrote a letter to him early on and he said, join us. And I did. (laughs) Well, he sent me his letters on Walter Haas stationery, which was notebook paper. And he would write, (sighs) of course, everything by hand, nothing ever typed. And I've still got some of those letters that I treasure. And so, uh, he inspired me. A lot of the things he would say were always encouraging. Nothing ever negative. He was a very positive person, but that right. meant a lot to me. That's great. That's great. Well, is there any other information you like to share about yourself or experiences? Well, I just want to say that um, the times I've served in the ALPO as coordinator of Venus and Saturn have been extremely inspiring and pleasurable. The years I spent doing lunar, uh, coordinating the lunar section, I was a recorder back then, but they called us that back in those days. Um, Those things were just the most wonderful times of my life, and they still are. It it gives me, not that I don't have anything to do in retirement, but it enriches my retirement with things that I can Mm -hmm. enjoy and improve my, to keep the wheels turning, learning more each day. That's great. Now, how can everybody get in contact with you? Well, uh, you can go to our website. Um, it's um, my address is there. My website, uh, my okay. email is on the website, and um, that's probably the best way. And um, I always like to correspond with observers and encourage them to uh, participate in our programs. Great. Well, Julius, I really want to thank you for coming on today. Uh, congratulations again on the Walter Haas Award. It's very well deserved. When I looked at the list of the previous recipients. I was frankly shocked that you had not received it already. That's my personal opinion, but that's, I, I, there was nobody more deserving than you this year, I believe. Well, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the vote of confidence and uh, it's, it's been a labor of love and I'm, it'll, I'll treasure this always. I really will. It, it means so much to me, especially how much Walter meant to me over the years. That just adds a special uh, touch to it as well. That's great. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on. All right. Thank you for your time. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. Again, I want to thank Julius Benton for coming on and talking about his life, his career, and uh, his recent award. No one else, I really believe, was as deserving as him this year. We upload a new episode of The Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I do appreciate it. And you can also listen to us on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give up to $35 a month where you will receive one year's membership to the ALPO 
and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seedentop, for his generous support of The Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at @observersnbpod. Until next time, my hope is that you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.